Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Before we get going here, I wanted to share with you something that you might find very useful and helpful. Very recently, I wrote an ebook on how to make sure that you're building at a high enough rate if you're a freelancer or consultant. So if you do any type of freelancing or consulting, then please pay attention. Very often when folks start consulting or freelancing, they set their rates too low, mainly because they don't know what the rate should be, or they just feel like that's the best way to get clients. And in fact, you will get clients. However, unfortunately, over a period of time, you'll find out that you just cannot sustain at that low consulting or freelancing rate. So I've written a book, small ebook that you can download for free that will show you the very bare minimum amount that you need to be charging as a freelancer or consultant so that you can make the right amount of money. So if you decide to go full-time in consulting or full-time in freelancing, or just continue to do it when you have time, this will ensure that you're charging the right amount. And you can get that ebook at donfelker.com slash ebook. Just plug in your email. I'll send you the PDF right to right to you. Uh, it's free of charge. So nothing on my end. Just plug in your email. And uh, again, that's at donfelker.com slash ebook. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about something that's been highly requested here on Fragmented for quite some time. Unfortunately, Kaushik is not here to join us today because I know that he would be super pumped to talk about today's topic. Uh, and today's topic is Kotlin Multi-Platform Mobile. And today we have a special guest who has recently been working with it. His name is Mitch. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hi, Don. Thanks for having me on. Um, I want to say a special thank you to you, actually, because you were a guest on my podcast in the early days. And this was, I don't even know how many subscribers I had on YouTube at that time, but it wasn't nearly as many as I had now. So I'm sure there was a lot more in it for me than there was for you at the time. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you've, uh, you've done very well on the, on the podcast recently. It's, um, I think you've just crested 100,000 on, excuse me, on your YouTube channel, 100,000, right? Yeah, hundred thousand. Um, yeah, I, I, you know that hallmark. That what do you call it, a hallmark, a landmark, uh, um, some kind of mark. It doesn't really <laughs> feel like it doesn't really feel that great to me for some reason. I don't know why. I, maybe I just don't. I don't know. I feel like I'm an engineer first and a YouTuber second. That's probably why these these kind of metrics just don't really. I don't know. I like it, but I don't know. I like to code more. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's a different, um, I've been doing some videos for freelancing and stuff like that, and it's a different skill set. It's a different experience. And it's definitely, in my opinion, not as fun as coding. And you've been, you've created a lot more videos than I have. So you probably know that firsthand. Yeah, I don't know. Some like, I was actually counting it just the other day. Um, if you count like my Pluralsight videos, the videos on my website, videos on YouTube, I think I'm like 1400 videos or something like that. Whoa, yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of videos. <laughs> yeah. A lot of time in front of the camera. That's for sure. So are, are you, um, so let's go ahead and hop right into it. So folks that aren't familiar with you, I mean, your, your last name is, is Tabian, right? Mitch Tabian? Yeah. Yeah. You got it right. So for folks that aren't familiar with you have maybe never heard your name before, can you give them a little bit of background information about yourself? Maybe how you got started into development and Android and so forth and, and where you are today? Yeah. Um, I've been doing Android for about, uh, about five years. I got, I actually did physics. I have a bachelor of science in physics. I did that oh. in school and, uh, I have an engineering diploma too, but not in programming. It was in mechatronics actually. And, um, I started coding my last semester of school. Cause I was like, what am I going to do with this physics degree? What kind of job <laughs> am I going to get? And I always thought coding was cool. I took a couple coding classes, started learning how to code and, you know, that's pretty much how I started in, at the end of my education, actually. And now I've been doing it for uh, Android specifically for about five years. I like to describe myself as a pretty decent Android developer, a okay web developer, and a shitty iOS developer. That, that is how <laughs> I would describe myself. And um, I always, so my, I make my living, uh, I have an online business. I make my living by making uh, courses. I usually, I use YouTube as sort of like an advertising tool. I advertise my uh, courses that I sell on my website. I sell a subscription. Basically what I do is I look at all the new stuff that's coming out. In this case, you know, we're talking about the thing that I've been looking at lately, which is uh, Kotlin multi-platform mobile. That's the thing that I've been looking at. I look at all the new stuff out there for Android. There's no lack of new Android things 
constantly. Yeah. So lucky for me, there's always tons of work. I make content on it. I make a course on it. I sell it. I pay my mortgage. That's how it works. Living a dream, man. You're working for yourself. That, uh, I can imagine a lot of people are listening are a little bit envious right now. So congratulations for you. Good job. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it has not been easy, but but it's good. <laughs> working for yourself is never, it's never easy. It's not a 40-hour job, that's for sure. No. So today we were going to, um, I think it was, I don't know, a number of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I saw you post either on Twitter or Instagram somewhere, I don't remember where, um, that you were working on some Kotlin multi-platform mobile stuff. And I thought that was really interested and I wanted to talk to you about it. And we agreed to sit down and chat as soon as you were done kind of working through your, your, your playground with it. If it was an app, if it's a course, I'm not sure you can explain <laughs> that. But before we kind of hop into what you built, I'm wondering, because you have the experience now of building what you've built, what exactly is Kotlin multi-platform mobile? Yeah, so um, there's two things I would start by describing that. There's there's Kotlin multi-platform and there's Kotlin multi-platform mobile. So Kotlin multi-platform is it's just referring to the ability to run uh, Kotlin code natively on different platforms, whether it's web, iOS, Android, obviously, um, Linux. So that would, that, would, that would be Kotlin multi-platform. It's the running of Kotlin code natively on some platform. Then there's mm -hmm. Kotlin multi-platform mobile, which is a tool built by JetBrains for us mobile developers to make it easy to build mobile apps using Kotlin multi-platform. So it's literally a plugin for Android Studio that you download. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And it you like when you go to create a new project in Android Studio, you go down to KMM project. Like that's an option. You click KMM wow. project and it builds the this uh, project for you. It builds, you know, your shared directory, your iOS directory, your Android uh, shared directory, and then your Android app, your iOS app. It kind of just organizes everything for you, gets it ready to go, and then you're ready to, you know, build your your application. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that one of the ways you determine what courses to do is to see kind of what's popular out there. Is that why you decided to give Kotlin multi-platform mobile a whirl? Yeah, um, definitely because it's popular for sure. But also like just, you know, what mobile developer doesn't want a cross-platform solution? Yeah, like, the, exactly. you know, that's a, the answer to that is everybody. everybody. Every single person wants a cross-platform solution. Everybody's looking for the best one. There's all kinds of solutions out there ionic xamarin react native flutter um probably more but there's even ones that are built out there i've talked to people that they build like in-house for their companies and they they don't even make it public they have like a in-house cross-platform solution that they use so there's tons out there um which one's the best that's kind of the question everybody wants to know the answer to so i've spent time on flutter um, and I, and that was great. You know, I enjoyed that. The next thing I heard about was Kotlin multi-platform. So I just wanted to get into that, obviously. It's how I make my living too. So, I mean, that's a big, a big portion of it. I look at the new stuff, digest information presented to people. Yeah. You're probably not going to make much if you're building courses on how to build IOT apps to water your garden, right? Probably not. It, it might be fun. Like that would yeah, be enjoyable. Like Grab a raspberry Pi and, you know, start doing stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Probably not. You, I think my my best target audience is you know professional developers who are making money. I want to. My goal is to save them time because they'll pay for that. That's that's who I should cater to. No, you're right. Hundred percent right. So you're distilling down that information to make it easier for them to understand to save them time, which makes a lot of sense. So, how did you go about learning KM, KMM? Um, yeah, so I started with the documentation. The Kotlin documentation is actually really great. So if like you literally go to the Kotlin Lang documentation or just Google like, you know, Kotlin multi-platform, it's going to be one of the first things that come up, go to their docs and they, they show you, they basically take you through it. They say, you know, Hey, Android developers, download the Kotlin multi-platform mobile plugin, how to get that all started and just how to do all that. But there's not... Oh, there's a couple samples on there, but I think there are, some of them are actually made by other people in the community. John O'Reilly, for mm -hmm. example, who you've probably seen okay. me interact with on Twitter a mm -hmm. lot. Um, so I started with the docs and then after that, just try and build something. And there's not a lot of information out there yet. So the samples are where I really learned probably most of what I learned. And um, I want to give another shout out to John O'Reilly. I know I've I've talked to him a lot. I've gave him several shout outs on YouTube already. But every time I was stuck 
he was the one who always helped me. He even checked out my project before from Git and was like running it. And he was like, hey, wow. hey, I'm getting the same error as you are. That's weird. And then you're like, like he was like super, super helpful. So thanks to him again, if you're listening, I appreciate it. You saved me a lot of time. And, uh, and yeah, so that's pretty much, that's pretty much how it, how it went. I started with the docs, started looking at samples that are made by people in the community, um, all the while trying to build my own thing. Of course, I think that's the, that's the best way to learn is try to build your own thing. Look at something, try to implement similar things that they've done in your own project. So you can really see like, mm -hmm. you know, how it works. So when, so for Kotlin multi-platform mobile, this I'm assuming here and I'm coming at this from a, a foundation of I've actually never built a KMMM project at all. Like I've never installed the plugin. So I'm really coming at this from a very greenfield experience of not, you know, not having done anything. Does this allow me to build, uh, you said cross-platform. So I assume it allows me to build an iOS app. Does that mean I get to write the iOS app in Kotlin or is it one code base or what does that look like? Yeah. So I think that, I think, you know, I was just at the Kotlin web, the Kotlin Lang website and, um, mm -hmm. I like, you remember how I said, Google it and it'll take you to the page, you know, call it multi-platform mobile and it gives a description of it. I'm pretty sure they changed this page recently because I, I, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like it used to say like in big text, build cross-platform apps, which, which I think is a misleading description. It's not there anymore. So I don't know if they maybe like corrected it or maybe I'm imagining this completely, but I think that when when you when you say build cross platform apps with Kotlin multi platform mobile i think that's misleading cuz it's not okay. it's not it's not a cross platform app the same as flutter or react native um okay. cuz those are those are those are one code base and you build it you you have like special ios widgets that are for flutter you have special android widgets that are like for android but you build like one code base with Kotlin multi platform mobile, you have a large amount of code that you're sharing, but you still okay. have to have uh, platform specific code. You have to have like, you're, you can't build your Android, you can't build your iOS UI um, the same as you build your Android UI. Like it's, you use Jetpack Compose for your UI or Fragments or whatever you're going to use. And then for okay. iOS, you, you still have to use, you know, Swift UI or I'm the, I only know Swift UI because I'm a shit iOS developer, but whatever other iOS thing that you would build. Yeah. So there, there's there's shared code, which would be, um, we can talk about you know how much code you share. That's a question everybody always wants yeah. to know the answer to um, and how much you don't share. But at, at the end of the day, no matter what, you have to have at minimum the UI to be uh, platform specific. So Jetpack Compose, for example, on Android, Swift UI, for example, on iOS. So does this under, if I'm understanding this correctly, does this make sense? I have, if I have three boxes, two at the top and then one down at the bottom, both the boxes on the top, one is iOS and that's going to be the Swift UI. The other one is Jetpack Compose. That's the Android UI. And then down at the bottom is another box. And that's the kind of the shared code that can run for both platforms. Maybe that's the HTTP or the database stuff. That's all in Kotlin down at the bottom though, right? Right. I actually have a great diagram that you can attach to your show notes that I, I created. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a great illustration of, you know, which code is shared and which code is not shared. So if you think of like clean architecture, I'm sure many of your listeners mm -hmm. follow the clean architecture principles and you yourself. Um, it, so if you're building a KMM app, in, in my mind, the ideal way to build it is to use clean architecture, the principles of clean architecture. You have your domain uh, layer, which is going to be Kotlin. It's going to be shared. You have your data source layer, which is going to be Kotlin. That's also going to be shared. Okay. And we can talk about which uh, libraries uh, you can use for those, like yeah. for caching, for networking. We can talk about that. Uh, and then you have your use cases, which will also be pure Kotlin. So those take your data sources as arguments. They execute whatever set of logic for any particular use case that can happen in that particular screen, whatever. So that's all Kotlin, okay. which is probably the vast majority of code in your project. Then mm -hmm. you cross down into the, the sort of framework specific layer. And then all you have is presentation. Of course, you have to have uh, like things like services and things like that. Those are also going to be platform specific. But if we're talking yeah. about a, sim uh, you know, a simple use case where there's no services, um, it's just going to be UI. So you have you know domain, data source, use cases, all Kotlin. Then you cross over into um, the framework specific and you're just going to have you know, Swift UI, or Jetpack Compose. And I've, like I said, I have a great diagram that you can attach that uh, I built for uh, illustrating what I just said. 
Yeah, we'll definitely, I'll, I'll grab that from you after the show and we'll add that to the show notes and which will show up on the website and also in the show notes in whatever podcast app you use. So thank you for that. So you mentioned um, a number of libraries. So when I think about a situation like this, an architecture like this, uh, I imagine that there's, I'm going to be writing to a database and if I'm going to write that in Kotlin, um, I need to use some type of, I guess, Kotlin library. Do these... Mm-hmm. I guess a couple questions here. What libraries did you use and was it hard to find libraries or is it hard to find libraries? Do they have to be built a certain way to support KMM? Um, so no, it was not hard. And there's a lot of great Kotlin libraries out there. Uh, for Android specifically, the things that we look for, which I'm sure all of your listeners are going to th- think the same thing, is like, is there a caching library? Because we all do caching. Is there a network library? Those are like the top two because you're going to get something from the network you're going to cache it. Those are guaranteed the top two that you're going to use. So for caching, there's a great Kotlin library called SQL Delight. It's awesome. Whether you're on iOS, whether you're on Android, you essentially build out your SQL database. You write the queries. You do the same things that that you always do. And that's pure Kotlin. It's great. And then you have KTOR for networking. And by the way, I never knew KTOR existed before until working with a Kotlin multi-platform. And it's great. Like, I don't think I'm going to use Retrofit anymore. I think I'm going to be using KTOR. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's a great library. Like it has everything that I would ever want and more. And I don't know how I didn't know it existed before. I think maybe because we had retrofit and retrofit, you know, ticks all the boxes. It does everything that I wanted to. So I never looked, but like KTOR is great. I really don't think I'm going to use any other networking library. So, so that's caching, that's networking. Those are the top two. And then for any other thing that you might need, serialization, uh, dates, there's a great library, Kotlin X date time for dates, uh, serialization, Kotlin X serialization. Um, but yeah, I mean, they exist. There's, there's lots of libraries out there. It's interesting. I want to dig deeper into that KTOR uh, retrofit discussion. I didn't know that that um, KTOR was for networking on the client. I was under the assumption that KTOR was only like server side stuff. Does it all? For like, building, for like building APIs. I didn't know you could use it to actually consume APIs as well. Yeah, it does it all. That's what I mean. It's like uh, it's like a pretty incredible library. And I didn't know how I you know didn't know it existed before. So what made you, um, does retrofit not work with? um yeah it's android it's android so like you could do it so that's so that this is one thing Uh, so one question might be asking is well what what if i have um some like some use case where i have to have something that is platform specific but i want to sort of share it i guess yeah well you you can use this thing called this expect actual pattern with uh kotlin multi-platform so in the common directory where you have your kotlin code you have three kind of directories if you're building a mobile app you have common android and ios and so what you can do is in the the common section you declare a class or whatever using um using this keyword expect so you might say expect class don felker and then and then in the uh android side you would say you use this keyword actual. So actual class Don Felker. And then you could write all the functions that Don Felker can do on Android. And you could do the same thing on iOS. So you would say actual class Don Felker on your iOS side of the world. And maybe Don Felker does different things on iOS. So he has different right. functions and different functionalities. So that that's that's one way that you could do that, uh, solve that problem with Kotlin multi-platform. So if you had a networking library like Retrofit and you wanted to use it, you could use that expect actual pattern to do that. So if you wanted to, uh, a great example actually on iOS uh, that I can think of is caching. So if you want to use core data, which is the caching mechanism on iOS that everybody uses, but maybe you want to use the room persistence library on Android. So you can use that. Yeah. So you could use that expect actual pattern to say, expect my, you know, database of some kind uh, in the common directory. And then you could say actual, you know, that database, you can do a room implementation on Android, and then you could do a, 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 what do you call it? Core data implementation on the iOS side. So that's that gives you a lot of flexibility. So you don't have to share, uh, you know, the the Kotlin code. You could write different implementations on both sides. So if I use that expect actual pattern, though, I would have to basically implement both sides uh, for iOS and Android, right? Uh, like yeah. Independent. Yeah. Okay. So I'd have yeah. to. So if I use something like SQL Delight, though, then that'll kind of work for both platforms. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. And then when you were, um, if I'm starting off in a, in a Kotlin multi-platform mobile project, 
and I want to look for libraries. What, how did you go find the libraries? Did you just kind of go on Google and just say Kotlin multi-platform mobile database library or, or what did you look for? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's just, um, yeah, that was just really just, I was in the rabbit hole and you know, you just keep, I don't know. I don't have any, I don't have any pointers for that. I don't, I don't have, uh, any tips or anything like that. I think I just, I just was just searching and that's, you know, that's what I ended up coming some, some way or another. That's what I, you know, came up with. You had a specific problem. How do I cache and, you know, search caching Kotlin multi-platform, yeah. you know, just then, stuff like that. Yeah. Nothing specific. Did you run into issues where you couldn't find a library and had to use the expect actual pattern um, that or, or something like that? No, the only the only time I had to actually do that was um, when I wanted to get a constant based on whether or not the app was in debug mode. So I had to build a class. Um, I called it build configuration, and then uh, you have mm -hmm. to get different, you know, platform specific. Is this app in debug mode on iOS or Android? That's literally actually I think the only time I did that. Everything else I found great Kotlin libraries for or wrote something. Okay, so you you've been writing Android for a number of years. That's you know, your second home probably at this point in time. And you felt at home inside of Android studio, but right. then when you had to go build the Swift and the, the iOS stuff, and you know, as, as you said, you're a shitty iOS developer, how yes. did you get to, how did you learn uh Swift UI or what did you do to kind of get to, you know, the point where you had like a functioning app or a functioning screen? How did you learn that? Uh, yeah. So I asked on Twitter naturally, cause that's what I always do when I want to know the answer to something. Twitter is great, by the way, if any of you developers are not on Twitter and you like you get on Twitter, it's like the best place to interact with the Android community, the iOS community, the programming community in general, literally any question I ask, although I have a bunch of followers, so that helps. But any question I ask, somebody almost, almost always points me to uh, a good, at least a good direction. So get on Twitter. Yeah. So that's what I did. I said, hey, what's the best way to learn? Uh, first, actually, my first question was like, what do I even want to learn? Because I don't, I didn't even know Swift UI existed. I didn't know, I knew Swift existed, but yeah. you know, um, so anyway, ask what you're going to learn. And then well, a friend of mine pointed me to a, a, um, a website hacking with Swift. Uh, so he did, the, he, had, he has this course, it's free. It's a hundred days of uh, Swift UI. And so I just, I did that. Um, I went through it really quickly, obviously, because the first, I think the first like, I don't know, 20 or 30 videos are, you know, just general Swift coding stuff, yeah. like how, what arrays are in Swift. And I was like, ah, I'll just pick that up as I go. And I kind of skipped that. But um, so I, it took me, I don't know, two weeks about to get through that, those, let's say 70 videos, because I skipped the first 30. And after yeah. that, I was feeling pretty good. Like I, I was feeling like, I could probably, uh, you know, blindly find my way through whatever <laughs> I needed to get through at that point, um, mm -hmm. which, which I think is kind of like the point you want to get to. You, you just want to be able to be like, I think I can figure that out in your head. And yeah. um, so that after, you know, two weeks of Swift UI, that's, that's how I felt. So I started building, um, uh, I started building my production app with KMM. So I started, I rebuilt, uh, you know, I rebuilt the whole thing basically. Because I wanted to use Jetpack Compose anyway, so I wanted to rebuild the UI anyway. So I rebuilt it using KMM, and I got a Android version out of it, and I got a iOS version out of it. Android version was using uh, Jetpack Compose for the UI. iOS version was using uh, Swift UI for its UI. I know your background's not in iOS, but what if you could distill what Swift UI is down to an Android developer? What would you say? It's like Jetpack Compose. It's a declarative UI toolkit. Okay, so just think Jetpack Compose, but for iOS then basically that's that's really all it is yeah so so that was that I think also made it much like fairly straightforward to me too because I I my you know my, the last I don't know January probably I mean even since December so December January February March up yeah. until March that was all Jetpack Compose for me so I've been mm -hmm. I made some courses on it I was going down the rabbit hole of Jetpack Compose and then mm -hmm. then I jumped into Swift UI and it's quite similar and honestly uh, Swift UI and just Swift in general is very similar to Kotlin. It feels yeah. it feels very Kotliny, so it was it was pretty natural to pick that up quickly. I think it, you know declarative UI similar to Kotlin, there are a lot of similarities. I've heard of that same 
uh, topic from multiple other people who have started playing with Swift and and so forth. They say the same exact thing is very similar to Kotlin, very easy to pick up, which is kind of a huge relief after a, a lot of problems that I've heard from Objective C or learning Objective C in, in general. So yeah, and even just like Android in general, like there's always like new shit to learn. It's like oh great, now this new thing. Um, yeah, so it's nice. It's nice, to, huh? So well, now that course is out of date. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, you have no idea. Well, yeah, you do have an idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was it was really nice to be like, oh, this is similar. This is nice. I understand mm-hmm. this. Okay, so yeah, that's cool. So, what app did you end up, or what kind of app did you end up building with KMM to kind of prove out this process? I built a, <laughs> a bunch of sort of, uh, I guess, sample projects first of all, just so I could, you know. Like a, you build a playground, right? Which is basically yeah. just like a place where you try and break things and see how things work. Um, then I then I was like, okay, I feel good enough about this that I'm going to uh, build. I wanted to rebuild. Like I said, I have a app in production right now. Um, it's a really simple app. Where I live in Canada, in British Columbia, the province, we have a single power company called BC Hydro. And they have, whenever there's a power outage, they publish that information to their website, but they don't have any app or anything like that. So I I just thought, hey, it'd be nice if people could download an app, simple app. They open up, they open it up to a map and it shows power outages. You can get information like when, when's it going to get restored? How long has it been out? What happened? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll just build that. And so I, I build that I built that, um, an Android client, maybe I think about six months ago or something like that. And, um, then Jetpack Compose came out and it was in my head. I wanted to rebuild it with Jetpack Compose because this is, this is more of like a, it is a production app, but it's more of a, an app that I use to play around with in production. If that yeah. makes sense. Like yeah. it's something that I have in production that I can try things with in production. That's mm-hmm. just to see, you know, how, yeah. So, um, so I wanted to do that. And then I started doing Kotlin multi-platform mobile. And then I thought, Hey, why don't I, I need an iOS version. I was considering yeah. building it with flutter originally because I wanted to get a cross platform app. <clears throat> so I thought, Hey, I've been spending time on KMM. Why not try and build, um, my, you know, iOS client, my Android client with KMM. So I did that and it was really smooth sailing. Like it was really quite simple. Um, uh, I have a list. I actually, well, actually, I made a video on it. So if you want more information about it, you should probably go watch that video on my YouTube channel. It's called okay. "Is Kotlin Multi-Platform Mobile Ready for Production?" That that'll take you through my app, and I walk you through like what Android uh, libraries I used, what iOS libraries I used. It'll, it's just more specific rather than me sit here and you know talk about it. But but it, it was smooth sailing. It was great. Nothing really, nothing really, no big hangups. The only thing was maybe a Gradle configuration. I had some issues with Gradle configuration. Um, Okay. And yeah, um, again, I talked about that in the video too. But if there is anything that is difficult with Kotlin multi-platform, it's Gradle configuration. Random one-liners that you'll have in your Gradle and build.gradle and it will cause your project not to build very annoying and a lot of this stuff isn't well documented so there's not like yeah yeah it's just like trial and error asking other people like john o'reilly like hey did you get this error he says yes or no and then try and figure it out so hopefully when there's um when jetpack impose and kmm works with a uh, fully released version of android studio you don't have to use canary and you know it's not in beta anymore so you're going to have your gradle configurations more you know ironed out and published somewhere and you can just say okay copy this and you'll be good uh probably those problems will go away but yeah if if i had any issues it was with gradle configuration i watched that video very well put together by the way and uh, i'm saw that you mentioned something about uh the maps so when you use maps um that's going to be i guess part of the swift ui and probably the app for the i don't know is it apple maps or google maps on on there i don't know which one you used um but i think i remember you mentioned it you felt like there was a weird lag did you figure out what that was or was it a lag or or can you reiterate yeah so i used google maps sdk for android obviously um and then for the ios side i also used the google maps sdk they have an ios sdk um okay yeah so i used that so i didn't this is not like a kotlin thing this is a platform specific thing google maps on android google maps on ios um the lag the lag that i was talking about i don't know i i 
you know, it's so subtle too. Like if you were using the app, you probably wouldn't even notice it, but because yeah. I'm the developer and I'm like, I'm like trying to break it as I'm using it. And I notice like if I move really, really fast, it kind of will stutter a little bit. I don't know if that was uh, because I don't know what that was. I, I think my theory is that because I'm using Swift UI and you have to kind of, uh, you there's, I, I will butcher this description because I don't know I'm a shitty iOS developer, but <laughs> but yeah. like there's there's things that you need to do to get uh like the Google Maps SDK for iOS was built for Swift. It wasn't yeah. built like with Swift UI. Like Swift UI hadn't come yeah. out yet. So like you. like with Jetpack Compose, you have to there's actually this workaround that exists. You have to use a special Android view composable to pass like um pre things that that aren't like comp necessarily compatible with Jetpack Compose yet into that Android mm -hmm. view and then they'll work in Jetpack Compose. Well, there's something equivalent on iOS. And um and so I think it's my theory that just that that bringing of an old thing over into Swift UI world is causing it to like shutter a little bit. Um Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. This is my theory, but it okay, wasn't yeah, bad. It wasn't bad enough that it was a deal breaker anyway. Yeah, it's when you get in, when you're building those apps yourself, you will recognize all the small things. I even say this about even small home improvement projects where if you if you're the one that lays the tile somewhere or you fix part of the wall, you'll see that little scratch mark that no one else will ever see like, oh, it looks great. And then you're like, no, except for this one little piece over here that you seem to obsess about because yeah. it's not perfect. Exactly. I've definitely People come so over. Mentioned I was just going to say people come over and they'll, they'll look and say, Oh, wow, that looks amazing. And then you're like, yeah, but look at this tiny little thing in the corner. And they're like, what? I, what? And they gotta get, they gotta get like up real close to it. And like, does that even, is that even something? Okay, sure. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You've been there. I know. Yeah. You mentioned, um, the Gradle configuration was kind of troublesome to, to work through and, and hopefully that, and I assume it will get resolved, um, with the teams. Did you encounter, or maybe you can walk through, what did the build process look like to build out both of the apps? Did you have to build it twice for each platform or was there a common build process to kind of get the, you know, get an installation file for an iOS app and an installation app for an Android app? Right. Okay. I can clarify a few things for you. So, um, so when you build the column multi-platform project, you, you spend most of your time in Android Studio because all the Kotlin code and all the Android code is going to be written in Android Studio. But when you want to uh, write any iOS code, you still have to use Xcode. So you, okay. that means that means you need to you need to own a Mac. Like I didn't even own a Mac. I had to buy a stupid $3,000 Mac to start doing this, which I'm still mad about. And um, so so any any iOS code you have to you have to write with Xcode. So you have two IDEs open, Android Studio, and then anytime you want to walk on over into iOS world, you open up your Xcode and you can start um, changing your iOS code. That means also, I, so I think you can also run your your iOS app from Android Studio. I have not tried that personally. I always just ran it with Xcode. So okay. I run I run the Android app with Android Studio, um, the iOS app with Xcode, and then the build process is similar. You have to do it, I did it in either IDE. So create the release build in Android Studio for the app bundle and then create and then the same it's the same thing with xcode so you go into xcode and you build it you publish to either store okay not too bad then all right makes sense it, it was really simple like it was very simple okay you also mentioned earlier that you had experienced and, and played with flutter a little bit i know early on that uh i think you had you were you're given some jabs at flutter way back in the day with some some videos you had made like <laughs> flutters for babies or something it was so it was hilarious i loved it what a great meme uh, it was good. So you have played with Flutter. Um, how does KMM compare to Flutter in your opinion? Um, well, if you use Jetpack Compose and you use um, Swift UI, it's declarative, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's what you're asking. You're probably asking which, what, what, what is the, you're, you're basically asking, would you use Flutter or would you use KMM, right? Like that, that's really. Um. I mean, you, that's one part of the question. Yes. Uh, I think it's good. The answer can be different for everybody, but yeah, you can answer that and we can kind of riff on that and go. Okay. That. Yeah. Okay. I'll just, I want to start by saying, uh, my experience with flutter. So I spent about a month and a month and a half or a month and a half just on flutter. Like every day yeah. I came to work, 
eight hours a day flutter. That was what I did. And then at the end of that, I, I kind of, cause I wanted to get an idea of what it was about, you know, all that kind of stuff. I would say like, if I was a tech lead or some guy who was responsible for putting together a team and building an app and the person who hired me said, you can use anything. You, I don't care what you use. So let's say they have a little bit of knowledge. They were like, Hey, you can use react native. You can use uh, two native, you can build two native apps or you can use flutter. You can do whatever you want. doesn't matter. My choice would be to build a KMM app for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I need to, I don't think I need to say anything bad about flutter. I think flutter is great. I think it solves a problem. Um, I just for like for me personally, in my opinion, it's a safer choice to stay, to share code that should be shared and not share code that shouldn't be shared. And, and KMM, I think does a great job of that. You share the code that doesn't matter. The co- well, it matters, but like, you know, I'm sure you know what I mean. And then yeah, yeah. You, you can take advantage of the platform specific things that are available to you, whether on Android okay. or iOS. Yeah. So you have the, the UI component written its own native language. I mean, that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Would you say that um, based upon your experience with this and building the app that you have, is Kotlin multi-platform mobile ready for production? Yes, for sure. And I, I talked about that in my video too. Um, yeah. So I, a, a point I brought up in the video was like, what are, what are you really asking when you ask that question? Like, is, is it ready for production? Like, you know, is there enough libraries available that, that you could build a feature rich production app? Yes. You know, is it, is, is Kotlin multi-platform going to randomly cause apps to crash on an Android device or randomly cause apps to crash on an iOS device? The, the solution to that or the, the answer to that question is the same, whether you would be writing a native app on each side, you're going to run your tests, you're going to write instrumentation tests, and you're going to do your, your best job to make sure that doesn't happen. So the answer to that question is yes. I mean, that's, that problem is solved. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think everything's there. I think the pieces are all in place, and uh, there's no reason there's no reason I see that you wouldn't write a production app with Kotlin multi-platform. I I don't see it. Is there is there any reason? So you would there's not any reason you wouldn't see it. Okay, interesting. The last question I really have for you here is around testing. I'm not sure if you've done any work in the, in the testing realm for KMM. Um, if so, um, what does that look like? Is it complicated um, or, or not? Yeah. So another great thing about KMM is because you you build your domain layer, your your data source layer, your use cases layer. That's all pure Kotlin. So ideally, what you're doing is you're maximizing the amount of like pure Kotlin that you're going to be writing uh, for your code base, and that's that's where you're going to write your unit tests. You're going to unit test your use. Probably the bulk of your unit tests are going to be your use cases, and that's all pure Kotlin. So it's no different than if you were writing your Android client and you were building out your architecture in this way. It would be literally exactly the same. And then the benefit there is you have unit tests that run for both Android and iOS because all that code is shared. And then obviously yeah. the, the instrumentation tests, that's not shared because those are platform specific. So you just write your instrument. Basically for Android, like a KMM project, nothing changes. Like it, it's identical. If you were to write a native app with Android, yeah. it's, it looks the same. same. Nothing changes. You, the choices in libraries might change because you can't use Android specific libraries. Like we talked about retrofit and KTOR, SQ Delight yeah. versus, you know, Room. Uh, so the choices in libraries and things like that would change, but your unit tests are going to be the same. Your instrumentation tests are going to be the same. Your code base is going to be the same. Um, the only difference is now you have an iOS sort of UI that's that you have to build and maintain and write tests for. It seems like you could, like if you already, have, if you've built your app, let's say for whatever reason you were just, like you said, you're not good at iOS or you don't want to do iOS Swift. Or but if you built like your app, if you're prepared to you're preparing to write an, a KMM app, you could write everything on the Android side using all those libraries. And then if you wanted to go hire a SwiftUI developer, you could literally hire a SwiftUI developer to kind of wire that in say, all right, how do we, you know, here's the project. Uh, could you build the, the UI for this? Would that, would that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would be relatively straightforward for the iOS guy. You know, he, he would probably... Because because for the iOS side, all you re- all you do is you add one import. You write import shared, and it imports everything from the shared directory. Um, so he would just have to be you know familiar with kind of 
there, there's slight nuances, like the code completion wouldn't be there for, for some things, I'm sure. Um, but it, I think it, yeah, it would be pretty straightforward for an iOS guy to, to do that. Which is, brings a good point. In the iOS um, side of the code, what, can you tell that you're even looking at Kotlin code or, or is it just that single import and then yeah. you just kind of have functions and classes and that's it? Yeah, it's a single import. Um, there's there's slight differences like like if you like one thing that comes to mind is if you want to uh, access like a companion object that exists inside of a class you there's like a different notation that you use to access that companion object so there's some small things like that but mostly it's import shared and now you have access to everything that's in that shared directory every Kotlin class everything when you make a change to that shared library underneath perhaps you expose a new API endpoint or whatever and you want the client UI to be able to consume it. Uh, do you have to build the shared library before it's exposed to both of the platforms again or how or, or not? Um, yeah. So I, every time I make a change, I, I don't know if this is necessary, but it seems like it's necessary that I have to rebuild the project in Android Studio. And then okay. those new classes become available in the iOS project, in the Xcode okay. project. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah it sounds, it sounds like a real interesting project because, um, I mean, as you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Kotlin. I've got the the large course on it on YouTube as well, and uh, it's probably one of my favorite languages. So uh, I'm definitely have to give this a shot because it sounds like it's very promising. Um, and I'm a big fan of cross platform development with Flutter, or even I'm gonna give this a shot and see how this goes too. Um, I th I don't think I have any other questions. Is there anything that we missed that you might find useful to kind of provide to to the listeners at all? Yes, I have. A valuable question, I think. It's just because this is All something, right. um, some something that I went down the rabbit hole for, and I think the information is is useful. Um, so I think like the next sort of frontier for Kotlin multi-platform, the next or the the next thing that that would make it that would take it to the next level is when I talked about that architecture diagram, which some of you could go to the show notes right now and take a look at the exact architecture diagram that I'm mentioning. Um, you have like your domain, your data sources, which contains your caching client, your networking client, then your use cases, like I said, which is all Kotlin. And then down below is going to be your framework specific code. So in my opinion, the next thing that would make, that would take Kotlin multi-platform to the next level would be to uh, share a view model. So currently I think like the most practical thing to do is to have a framework specific view model, which I'm going to explain why I think that is. Okay. Um, but, but I think the next frontier, the next thing that would take it to the next level and make our lives way easier for this cross-platform development would be to be able to share a view model. So now I'm going to talk about um, why I think that is not practical right now and why I think that, and this is uh, pretty much strictly from the Android perspective or mostly anyway, um, but obviously iOS uh, comes into account here too. So I'm, I'm going to explain kind of uh, what we would need to be able to do that and what we, why that's not why we don't have that right now, basically. Okay. So I, I, yeah. So I think like the first point here is to be able to share a view model. You, um, we're just gonna say that we're gonna use Jetpack Compose for the UI on Android and Swift UI for the UI on iOS. Um, to be able to share a view model, I think the first thing that you need is you need some kind of a data structure that Jetpack Compose can observe and react to, and also Swift UI can observe and react to. Um, so that means like on Jetpack Compose, we have the mutable state. Uh, for those of you who have used Jetpack Compose, when that object changes, the composable recomposes and shows those updates. That's basically what it is. Yeah. Um, and then you can use live data or flows also because there's functions that you can call on them, like uh, the observe as state function. And then that that makes uh, a composable able to be like, oh, hey, that thing changed. Okay, let me update. Um, and then so what we would need is some kind of a data structure that uh, hopefully I, you understand what I'm saying. In the view model, you have like some data structure that both Compose and SwiftUI will update if they observe. Um, mm -hmm. So now there is like some solution, like this is, this is sort of like a solved problem, sort of. There's like a number of hacky solutions that I've seen out there. I, I'll call it quote unquote hacky. Um, like one sample I was looking at, uh, the DKMP architecture sample by uh, Daniel Baroncelli. He what he was doing is he he maintained state at the application level and he used he incremented a counter anytime that state changed and then that would um, uh, 
cause a flow to emit that new state, which Swift UI can't. There, there is functions that you can use in Swift UI to uh, observe state changes or observe flows. So if like a flow emits a new thing, you can see that and update. So there, okay. there's like the so there's like arguably a solution to this problem, but. The thing I'm saying is like, if we had something like, like, you know how an Android, if you have a flow, you can call observe as state in the composable and then it's all good. Right. Right. So if we had something on Swift UI, like for example, observe as published object, because in, in Swift UI, that's what, that's one of the observable uh, things, I guess you would call it. Again, I'm a shitty iOS developer. So uh, my description of the iOS world is going to be bad. But if you had, you know, some flow dot observe as published object, that would be great. Because then you could have your shared observable object in the view model. Swift UI would be good. Compose would be good. It'd be all good. And it'd be easy. You wouldn't have to do any kind of like hacky thing. It would just work. So, yeah. so, so that's kind of like point number one that would make that possible. Uh, the next thing the next point is um, maintaining state through navigation, and I'll and I'll give you an example. Okay. So the the sample that I was talking about earlier, the D, DK, it's called DKMP architecture by Daniel uh, Berenselli. He did he did like the best job that I've seen of anybody who tried to do this. Uh, he kept state at the application level and then did that incrementing counter thing so that both you know Swift UI and Jetpack Compose would update if that state changed because he was trying to share view models. Um, but where he fell short, uh, which, uh, shout out to Ian Lake, who works at Google, by the way, who pointed out this, uh, sort of flaw. I was reading a Twitter feed. So I didn't, I didn't even like, I was playing with his sample and I thought, wow, this is great. And then I saw Ian, uh, mention some points where it kind of fell short. And then I dug into that and now I see what he was talking about. So imagine you're using an app, like, uh, let's go with Instagram and mm -hmm. you navigate, you're in the feed and you click on someone's profile. Uh, so you're viewing, let's call it profile number one. Then yeah. you go, you click on one of their posts or whatever, and you click on somebody else's profile in the comments. So now you're at profile number two. So you have two instances of the same screen and they each have, they each need to have their own state. So the way that Daniel, basically D Daniel was not handling this scenario if, cause he was uh, keeping state at the application level in a map. So, oh, and, it and, and the key was screen-based. So if he visited screen A, it would save that state as the key screen A. Uh, if he went to the next screen, uh, it would then overwrite that state because the, the, the screens are still the same. So, yep. so basically the, the point that I'm trying to illustrate here is there's a problem Technically, again, there is probably a hacky solution. Like I'm sure you could solve this problem. Uh, one one solution that I just thought of was okay. Uh, each entry in the back stack, if you had a unique ID for every entry in the back stack, use that as your key. There you go. You have a unique key for each screen state that you visit. That technically would solve the problem. But again, you're dealing with something that is like quote unquote hacky. There's lots of things that you have to do to get that to work yeah. properly, mm -hmm. right? So then, so then now we come to the last point, um, which it kind of seals the deal for like me thinking that view models are not really ready to be shared. Um, and that, then, so then you think about, okay, think about my Instagram example again. What if, um, think about what happens when you navigate backwards. So if mm -hmm. you pop the back stack, so what needs to happen? The thing that needs to happen is you need to clear the state. So in order to do that, in order to clear the state, suppose you implemented that fix that I talked about where you're, you, each entry in the back stack has a unique ID, use that unique ID in the map to save the state of the screen. So, yeah. then, so then how do you clear that? Well, no matter what way you look at that, you have to have a framework specific implementation to solve that problem because each framework is going to have their own back stack implementation. So you need a listener, like a special listener on each platform to listen to that back stack and then clear the state when it pops. So at that point, like after I went down the rabbit hole and I considered all of these things and I'm like, at that point, you just think of everything that I just said, how complicated that is, how many things you have to do, how many things you have to manage. And I'm just like, why wouldn't I just use a framework specific view model, like the Android architecture components view model? It does all of that automatically. So everything yeah. I just said, every point, that I just mentioned is automatic. You get it for free. So, mm -hmm. so that's what I mean. Like arguably this problem could be solved and you could share a view model, but it's like, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of logic 
and it's free if you just have a platform specific view model. So, so that if those problems get addressed, I think sharing a view model becomes practical and uh, then KMM would be like even better because you, you share so much code. You share domain layer, data source layer, use cases, view model. Literally all you have to write is the UI for each framework and then, you know, obviously services or anything like that. Yeah. Sounds like it'd be kind of probably eliminate a lot of possible UI bugs is, uh, would be a big side effect of that. Probably. Oh yeah. Especially like, I'm sure cross-platform things like, uh, any cross-platform solution, I'm sure there's UI bugs because there's always like that, you know, that back and forth between like, okay, this platform and then this platform and, you know. Definitely. Well, this has been a fantastic show. Um, Mitch, thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences uh, in regards to KMM and everything you've learned. I know I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have learned a lot. If the listeners want to get a hold of you or uh, see what you have in regards to KMM, where can they find you online and so forth? Uh, Twitter is a good spot. So my Twitter is Mitch underscore Tabian. And of course, okay. if you're interested in saving yourself some time, cause I know all of you people out there are busy, busy developers. And I'm out here spending my time going down the rabbit holes for you. Go to codingwithmitch.com and uh, check out some of my courses. Um, you can register for free and some of my courses are free. Uh, some of them are paid. The paid, just because one is paid, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's better than one of the other ones. It just means that I happen to make that a paid one. So, um, sorry if the course that you want to watch happens to be a paid one. That's just the, the, the hand that you've been dealt. But yeah, Twitter, codingwithmitch.com. Uh, Instagram also is codingwithmitch. Um, yeah, come say hi. All right, great. I'll go ahead and add those links to the show notes uh, so you guys can interact with Mitch on Twitter and definitely check out his website. He's got a ton of great content over there. And Mitch, thanks again for joining. Thanks, Don. It was fun. All right, everybody. We will catch you on the next episode. Hey, folks, before you get going, don't forget you can download the free ebook that'll show you how and why you need to charge at a high enough rate. That's going to be at donfelker.com slash ebook. Just go there, plug in your email. I'll give you the PDF for free and it'll show you everything you need to know on how to charge the proper bare minimum rate and also what I recommend. See you over there. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.